Hey everyone! You may notice that this particular week's episode is just a little bit shorter than most of our normal ones, and that's because Gabe and I have a lot of things that are going on outside of the podcast. For instance, I have my practicum this week, which is a really, really fun and exciting and very stressful thing that we do at HUC every year where cantorial students are given a piece of a service or a topic on which to present and are given some time in front of the school to basically just go at it. It's like a mini recital. And for me, people may realize, especially because we talked about it a lot with Rabbi Dennis Ross a few weeks ago, I'm right in the midst of thesis writing, and that's been taking up a lot of our time. We love the podcast. It's one of our favorite parts of the week. We really look forward to having conversations and getting to talk with all of you. And sometimes for us, we just need to make it a little bit easier and a little bit shorter. So we hope you enjoy this one as well. Don't worry. We've still got your partial rundown. We've still got your Midrashic mixology. Absolutely. We wouldn't leave you hanging. But it's just going to be a little bit of a different episode today. We're excited to be in touch. We're excited to be talking with you today. And yeah, I guess we'll get started here, right, Gabe? Let's go. tell you, last week's portion had a ton of stories in it, and it felt like we were kind of almost in Grimm's fairy tales, right? Like, you know, there was a lot of drama, there was a lot of action, there was a lot of trying to figure out where the narrative was going to take us. Yeah, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of different branches of that story, different characters, different settings. You know, and I was curious, we had this huge, huge story right before, you know, we ended, where Abraham takes Isaac, you know, and doesn't actually sacrifice him. And I was curious, do we ever get Sarah's reaction to that? Well, not in Torah. We get some Midrash on it. But no, Torah is pretty silent on Sarah's reaction. Oh, okay. Well, I guess this week we'll get a lot on Sarah, though, right? Because, I mean, the name of the portion is Chaye Sarah, so we're going to hear all about her life, right? <laughs> You'd think so. I'm so lost. Wait, so what does happen this week? Well, as you said... This Torah portion is called Chaye Sarah, literally the life of Sarah. So to start off, Sarah dies in the first two verses. Make sense? Good. Abraham mourns Sarah, but he needs a place to bury her. So he goes over to some Hittites and says, Hey Hittites, I need a grave for my wife. And Ephron the Hittite is all like, You're really awesome and powerful. So please take one of our nicest plots, free of charge. But Abraham didn't like that and said, Okay, I want the cave of Machpelah, but I insist that you let me pay you for it. But Ephron was like, hey, what's 400 shekels of silver between us, friends? This went on for a little while, but Abraham ends up paying for the cave and burying Sarah there. So Abraham is pretty old at this point, and God has blessed him in almost every way, but his son Isaac still isn't married. So he gets his servant to make a pledge to find Isaac a wife from Abraham's birthplace, but not from the Canaanites, and the servant makes the promise, which for some reason involves touching Abraham's thigh. The servant takes ten camels and a bunch of stuff to the city of Nahor, and had the camels kneeled by a well, and praised God, and he says, Whatever girl offers both him and his camels water is the wife for Isaac. So before he can even finish his prayer, who's that? It's Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and granddaughter of Milcah, Abraham's sister-in-law through her husband and his brother Nahor. 
So, she is pretty, and of marriageable age, and single, and she passed the water test with flying colors. The slave was very excited about this and praises God for Isaac's bride-to-be. So, Rebecca's brother Laban was also really excited about this guy being here, so much so that he clears out a space for the servant and the camels and gives the camels some food and the servant and his men some water to wash their feet. Before they eat, though, the servant explains his mission to find a bride, and Laban and Bethuel agree to the engagement. No word on how Rebecca feels about all of this, but I'm sure it'll all work out. And the servant gives Rebecca gold and silver and nice clothes and a gift for her brother and mother. Oh, the next morning, the servant and his men and Rebecca and Rebecca's servant set off on their camels to go back to Abraham and Isaac. So Isaac was doing something in the field, not sure what, but whatever. When he saw the camels in the distance, when Rebecca spotted Isaac, she fell off of her camel because physical comedy has been funny since Bible times. Isaac takes Rebecca into his mother's tent and they get married, which makes Isaac feel better after the death of his mother. Isaac loves Rebecca. Again, no real word on Rebecca's feelings, but she did fall off of her camel, so maybe that says something? Meanwhile, Abraham marries a new woman, Keturah, and she has six children, Zimran, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Yashbak, and Shuach. They have kids of their own, who I won't name, but the point is that Abraham has a lot of descendants. Abraham decides to leave all of his stuff to Isaac, but don't worry, he gives some gifts to his other kids too. But he does send them off all eastward toward Kedem. Abraham dies at 175 years old. Isaac and Ishmael reunite and bury their father together with Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. God blesses Isaac, who's now living near Berlechai Ishmael also has a lot of descendants living in the land between Havilah and Shur near Egypt and Ashur. Ishmael dies at age 137. And that's Parashat Chaye Sarah. Wow. I mean, I think there is a lot to be said. I know that we were told that Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars. But it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like setting things up for a little bit of a family feud, don't you think? Yeah, I feel like you're just asking for trouble when you're bringing in children from, like, lots of different wives, but different times in his life at different socioeconomic levels. You've got Ishmael, who's the son of a servant, versus Isaac, who's... Not There's a lot of different identity things going on here that I think make these relationships inherently really difficult. And all of that's before you get to the whole thing of Abraham leaving all of his stuff only to Isaac out of all of his descendants. I think that's true. But I mean, I think also, right, Isaac has some parental issues, if you think about it, considering the fact that, I don't know, his dad tried to sacrifice him. Like, no biggie, but like a little biggie. And his mom passes away. At this point, you know, at the end of our chapter, Abraham's passed away. So Isaac is orphaned, brings Rebecca into his mother's tent, which kind of makes me wonder if Isaac has some mommy issues. And generally, it's a rough family dynamic. Yeah, there could be a lot of uh, family therapy to go on with these figures. I'm really interested, though, in... This other aspect of it, though, that way at the beginning, when we have Abraham ask his servant to find Isaac a wife, he very explicitly says, I want Isaac to have a wife from among my people, not from among the Canaanites, which 
isn't a law yet. It will be a law that we're supposed to, you know, stay within the whatever. But for some reason, Abraham thinks that's important. And it's almost like he wants the family dynamic to be, you know, more complicated. But at the same time, it's clearly showing that there is some sense of cultural affinity or familial affinity that's important. So I think so too. I think it's a really interesting thing because we hear about Sarah's death very briefly and it's at the beginning and Abraham goes into conversation about, you know, how he's going to find a resting place. What's really fascinating is Abraham breathes his last breath, right? Like he dies. He dies at a good age. That's fine. He dies in his hundreds. Great. Awesome. Amazing. Isaac and Ishmael come together for what seems like the first time since they were banished. So I'm curious as to how that all works. But I like the fact that they came together, family reunion, mm-hmm. to really do honor to Abraham. But there's a weird line in here that I just want to throw out there. So Abraham dies, right? He mm-hmm. dies. 175 years old, he dies. Sarah, 120 and 7 years old. So there's a little bit of an age difference, but like, okay. But something happens that's weird. Abraham dies, and after Abraham dies, God blesses Isaac. Generally, when someone dies, like, on their deathbed, they give a blessing to their son. Right. Right? Abraham doesn't. Mm. Abraham just, bye, he dies. Mm. And it's not until after that that God blesses Isaac. And that's going to come back around, I think, at deathbed blessings when it's Isaac's turn in next week's portion in Toldoth. But... I do really think it's interesting that Isaac gets his own blessing from God because often when Isaac's referred to in the Torah, it's not as like a great patriarchal figure. A lot of the time Isaac is associated with pachad, this idea of fear. You know, it's not like wisdom, greatness, valor. It's pachad yitzhak, like this fear of Isaac. And so I actually really love the fact that I know you struggle a little that Isaac got all of the inheritance and I just, he never got his dad's blessing. So what I think is actually interesting here is that Abraham did consecrate Isaac as an offering. If we think back to last week where Isaac was supposed to be sacrificed to God, Isaac is supposed to be a sacrifice and we can imagine that Abraham blessed Isaac as a sacrifice and said, you are now consecrated to God as a sacrifice. And there's some commentary that says that that's why Isaac couldn't go off and find his own wife is because Isaac's not allowed to leave the land. Isaac has to stay in the Holy Land because Isaac has been consecrated to God as an offering. So it might be that Abraham can't bless Isaac, that God has to because Isaac is no longer the property of Abraham. Isaac belongs to God. I think that's fair. I can understand that commentary. I disagree with it, but I can understand it. Mostly because technically Isaac wasn't officially ever, you know, cut. Well, that's what we think, but there's also Midrash that says he was and then he was brought back to life. There are lots of different Midrash that go into a lot of different issues regarding the Akedah. But even without being cut, there are lots of steps to a sacrifice, as we'll learn about in Leviticus. And a lot of those steps happen before the animal is even slaughtered. So it could be argued that while Isaac was not actually sacrificed, he was consecrated as such. Okay. 
I can understand that. I can accept it even as an argument. I'm not sure I agree with it. Oh, I'm not sure I, I agree with it, but it's an interesting thought thing. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think one of the things that this makes me think a lot about, though, is this idea of what is our legacy once we are gone. You know, in this particular portion, we have the deaths of our first Zug, right? Like, our first kind of huge couple that we're to look to. And, you know, Abraham and Sarah, who had started as Abram and Sarai, like, this is what their life left behind. And generally, I think that a lot of people look to the future, right? Like, we talk about what our descendants, what our children, what the future generations will have for them. And here, I'm curious, like, how Sarah would think about how Isaac ended up. You know, Abraham made sure that he was wealthy and was materially comfortable and set off for. But Abraham had a lot of blind spots, like, consistently throughout his life. And so I do think that Isaac's dimmed eyes in, you know, the next week's portion probably were inherited from a lot of his father's blind spots. It could have been inherited from his father's blind spots. There is more Midrash there that says it was actually because of the tears of the angels while he was, you know, on the altar. But... Yeah, I'm going off on lots of Midrashic tangents. I do want to talk about one verse, though, that, as you know, is my favorite Hapax Legomenon in the entire Torah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which one? I'm talking about chapter 24, verse 63, because chapter 24 is ridiculously long. Vayetze Yitzchak lasuach basadeh lifnot arev. So Isaac goes out and does something in the field before the evening, or toward the evening. Lasuach is a Hapax Legomenon, meaning it only shows up once in the entire Torah, and we don't know what it means. We can make our guesses. Maybe it's walking or meditating, having a conversation like a sicha, but it's not really clear what's going on there, Lasuach. So, what do you think Lasuach might mean? Well, there are people that actually think that he was praying, there's a Talmudic conversation saying that this was the basis for Mincha, that it, you know, it's Lasuk that he was going toward evening, like, you know, in the afternoon, that Isaac went out having a conversation, praying, talking to himself. Similar, I think, to like what Hannah does back in, well, I guess, looking forward to our Haftara sections. Mm. But all in all, I'm not sure that I have a lot to add to our Midrash because we've been talking a lot about Midrash today. That's a fair point, yeah. <laughs> that Midrash happens to be a way of seeking out explanations or interpretations, looking for something that might help us understand what we're reading a little bit further, but isn't the plain text as we read it. And so Midrash is kind of a way of trying to say, okay, we understand what the text says, we're trying to understand what the text means so that we can get to what does the text mean to me. And that is a tricky thing. And as I said, like, you know, you brought up Lesuch. I had talked about legacy, this idea of, like, when we're talking about a life, Chaye Sarah, it sounds like a eulogy start, right? Like, the life of Sarah was 120 and 7 years. And she was buried. But what I would say is that it does seem like in these end-of-life moments, in these bereavement moments that this family, like, had some real planning of, like, okay, like, here's what we're going to do. This is important. We have to get a burial plot. We have to figure out what comes next. And it did seem like they were trying to make sure that those things were set in stone, in cave, for their children to be able to take care of them. And that's not always an easy thing to, to plan for. No, definitely. I think that, you know, we get a lot of our basis for 
how we as Jews treat death from Torah portions like these, where we see the deaths of our patriarchs and our matriarchs. When we see that the dead are treated with respect, when family differences are put aside, when even national differences are put aside, Abraham buys this cave from a Hittite. It's important to us to really put everything aside for the sake of the dead, which is a really incredible thing. You know, not to toot our own horn or whatever, But I really do think that Jews do death so well. I think Judaism really has some wonderful tradition around death and dying. That was a dark way to say that, but I think it's true. Well, I'm going to have us move to our next section because I'm not sure that I have much to add to that. But what I will say is that to that point, we will in a few weeks for Parshat Vayechi actually have somebody talk to us about death and dying and the Jewish tradition And so I think that there is a lot to learn that we don't necessarily have 100% of a grasp on, but we're excited to learn about. And yeah, we're going to move forward to Midrashic Mixology, because after a statement like that, I feel like I could definitely use a drink. Death. Hey, Amanda. What's up, Gabe? You looking for a drink? Always. Alright, so this one's sure to be a hit with your Hittite friends, like Ephron, the guy who sold Abraham the cave of Machpelah. This week, Midrashic Mixology, Parashat Chaye Sarah, we bring you Strong Negotiations. Abraham needs a place to bury Sarah, and as in all real estate, the rule is location, location, location. Where else does location matter? Beverages! You probably know that champagne has to come from the Champagne region of France, but did you know that cognac has to be from the cognac region? Otherwise, it's just brandy. That's a true fact for you there. So, take an ounce of cognac, brandy will do fine in a pinch, and pour it into a shaker with one ounce of dark creme de cacao for, you know, the darkness of a cave. To keep us all focused during this whole land ordeal, one ounce of coffee liqueur. Shake all that up with ice and a half ounce of cream. For a non-alcoholic version, start with a shot of espresso and add in one ounce of chocolate milk. Trader Joe's has great chocolate milk, and it has the added benefit of having to do with trading things. Nice. A half ounce of cream and a few drops of vanilla extract, and you're ready to shake with ice. Either way, strain out your negotiation into a chilled cocktail glass. Bury your beverage under a dusting of freshly grated nutmeg. Garnish by floating two coffee beans right on top for Isaac and Ishmael coming together to bury their father. Drink up and enjoy, and remember, don't drink and drive camels. You might fall off. L'chaim. L'chaim. <laughs> okay, so here's the real question. Yeah. Is this what you're going to be doing with your free coffee day from Starbucks? This episode is not sponsored by Starbucks, but, but it, it could, could be. be. This parsha happens to be a pretty long one, and we know that, and there's a lot that happens, and it's not all happy. I mean, like, I want to be clear. There's some beautiful things that happen. I mean, Isaac and Rebecca see each other, find each other, come together. You know, Abraham's family is going to continue as was promised. Isaac does get blessed, and we do see a reality of life, which is that people die and the story must move forward, and it does. 
I think that one of the things that we love about coming to these stories again and again is that we always get to look at them through a new light. Now, is this the first time that Gabe's talked about Let's Do It Basada? No. Will it be the last time that Gabe's talked about Let's Do It Basada? Absolutely not. But every single time we come to this Torah portion, we have something new that we might be thinking about. And so for me, when I'm thinking about going out and having like a movie-esque view to Isaac and Rebecca's meeting, or even Ishmael and Isaac's coming together to bury Abraham, I'm not going to lie, my senior thesis is coming into mind of like, wow, like these are moments of genuine I-thou relationships. Nice. And for your practicum, which deals with Ni'ila, right, which is literally the closing of the gates of heaven, well, I don't know how to break it to you, Gabe, but uh, do we think that Abraham and, you know, Sarah were put in the book of life? Guess not, but, you know, I did get a translation this year at my high holiday services that I really loved of the Sefer Chaim Tovim. Instead of calling it the Book of Good Life, calling it the Book of Lives Well Lived. And I think that's really nice. So I would like to think that they were inscribed in the Book of Lives Well Lived. I think that's beautiful. And honestly, yeah, I would raise a glass to that. But what I will say before we get to there, because I know that we can't end it without a proper thank yous. So, hey, Gabe, thanks for doing this short episode with me so that, you know, we saved our sanity, but also got to entertain our listeners. Absolutely. I'm so happy we got to spend this time together. Yeah, we definitely don't spend enough time together. No, absolutely not. Idan, we thank you for just dealing with us. And surprise, we gave you this gift episode. We hope you like it. <laughs> Oops. Thank you to Kate for also editing and making us sound brilliant on a regular basis. And thank you to you, our listeners. We literally wouldn't be here without you. Yeah, no, we would not be doing this. Don't forget, you can always listen to any episode that you want at www.drinkingandrashing.com. You also can support us because while this is a labor of love, we don't have any Hittites who are willing to give us, you know, our editing for free. And so generally, we'd love to have your support. Feel free, drinkingandrashing.com, hit the support us button. And yeah, also be in touch. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to continue the conversations. We raise our glasses to you. Gabe's going to drink the coffee drink. I don't love coffee. It's okay. But either way, we say, Lechaim. Lechaim.